1: this interview is thanks to Christian at KRN-TV. He has hooked us up with Gypsy Joe. And I'm just going to read to give you a flavor of what's coming. The back of the book, cushy some of it anyway. So, Joe spent his early years traveling, his father metal dealing, and mother selling Lucky Heather. Have you heard of that, Lucky Heather? Yes. All right. And as an infant, he was encouraged by Grandfather Reimer to reject the gypsy tradition of fighting and to take up golf. When Reimer died, suddenly Joe promised to fulfill his grandfather's dream and become a professional golfer. Trophies followed, and Joe's future seemed assured. But not everyone was happy about the wonder boy's success. False accusations were made, and he was asked to leave his beloved golf club. The effect on Joe's self-esteem and game was devastating. Anger burned as he fell into burknuckle fighting and crime. His role models were thugs and crooks, no longer sportsmen. Only when prison loomed did he reflect on the course his life was taking. Remembering his promise to Rymer, he spurned the underworld and returned to golf, where he reduced his handicap, turned professional, and competed at the highest levels. Kushti is not only a story of redemption, it's also an uplifting account of a young gypsy man's determination to realize his dream regardless of prejudice and the odds stacked against him. So huge thank you for coming on, Joel. Yeah, thank you. Thank
2: you for both
1: having me. And, and thanks to Jen for being here as well. The link for the book will be in the description box, as will links for Christian's KRN TV, as will links for jen's organic cotton clothing company of course before we get into the story joe there's a lot of confusion about the word gypsy and traveler and there's different types apparently are you okay to clarify to the viewers then because we have a lot of viewers out of america that that may not be familiar with these terms in particular
2: yeah well in in the uk um i think uh, we have at least to my understanding three types of gypsy so we have a um, the Romany Gypsy, uh, we have the Irish Traveller and we have a New Age Traveller and I think um, the New Age Traveller live a type of nomadic sort of life with very little history so they've just dropped out of their main society whilst they come from main society if you like Gorgeous we say from Gorgeous Society but they've taken up that way, now I don't think they have um, much history beyond them but for the few I've met along the way, whilst still practising my nomadic way here and there, whilst I have settlement I still travel a little bit I've met some nice people and um, there's obviously a difference between Irish travellers and English Romanies because they come from Ireland and um, myself comes from England but Romanies come from all different parts of Europe as well Uh, we originate from India some 1350 years ago and Obviously, the Irish traveller originate from Ireland. Not sure how long ago. You'll have to maybe ask, you know, an Irish traveller that sort of question. I'm not too sure. But what we do have in common, we have no many ways of life, and we're still very much minorities, and we have bridges and um, barriers to both get over. That's (laughs) the best way I can describe it. Is there a misconception that
1: Romani people think that's gypsies that origin out of Romania?
2: Uh, That's not the case. There might be a misperception, but... um, is it uh, that Ro- they roam? Rome, roam, no- nomadic. Yeah, they, it's 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 um, more of a, a Roman way of life as opposed to they come from Rome. It's been or Romania. It's been um, missed, uh, confused with, but it's not. It, it, as I say, they originate from India, some one thousand three hundred and fifty years ago, give or take, and a set of language went with it. Mm-hmm. They um, didn't agree with their rulers, so they put up a. They said, "Kill all these escapees, if you like." or the people that. Are rebelling against that system back in them days, and they formed their own language as a defense barrier. And um, we very often get accused of speaking foreign language when it's deemed rude and sinister, when the truth of the matter is we're only really using it to save an embarrassing moment or as a defense. Mm. So we could use it if somebody was wielding a knife or something. We could use that language to defend ourselves. So it's not all ways as uh, seemed as rude. <laughs> it's defence. <laughs> or we could save an embarrassment moment by using that language.
3: Of course.
1: Yeah. So, bare-knuckle fighting then, is that just part
2: of the traveller tradition? Where did it or- originate from? Well, it's, it's um, yes, it's very much what you tend to find with the traveller traditions. They hold on to traditions longer than possibly they should. And that happens in Lots of things, you know, lots of different areas, you know, like where should I say um, Christians, old Christian values was no sex before marriage. Now that doesn't happen very often, I'm led believe, but but that would hold on possibly longer in the travelling areas than it would the norm. With all due respect, of course, and there's some some nice people out there from the normal background that hold on to those values, but I would say it happens predominantly a little more and now it's the same with the fighting we hold on to traditions now you bear in mind we had heavyweight champions of the world that were knuckle fighters so we just held on to that traditional way of settling arguments without the gloves so it was a very English thing actually um, knuckle fighting but we've held on to it longer than again you might up number 44 North Road you might get the boxing gloves out to do it right? but we still do it with no gloves <laughs> But its origins are from England and not necessarily from the Gypsy or Romani backgrounds. We just held on to that.
1: What do you think about the success of Tyson Fury?
2: Oh, well, what can you say? He's heavyweight champion of the world. Um, absolutely fantastic, wonderful. I think he's conducted himself very well as the champion. Being a champion in the ring is one thing. Being a champion out of the ring is another thing. And I haven't had too much... Um, I haven't heard too much bad about the champ. Um, In fact, one of my friends was on a long haul flight with him, seven-hour flight, and he actually said, if you wanted to design and paint the heavyweight champion of the world, it would be Tyson Fury. So (laughs) that's brilliant, isn't it? (laughs) So have you met him? I haven't met him. It's it's strange. Um, I recently learned that my grandfather um, was a professional boxer, was very good friends. My, My grandfather mentioned his great uncle, Ticker Gorman, very much. I've heard the story. So many stories about his great uncle. So the nearest we've really got together is my grandfather and his great uncle were good mates, both heavyweight boxers, fighting on the professional when boxing booth scenes, Yeah,
3: oh, fantastic. When he
1: bounced back up after Deontay knocked him down that one fight, that was just incredible, unbelievable. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's almost ghostly like wasn't, wasn't it, it? <laughs> it was. he went who's that getting up that can't be my opponent <laughs> <laughs> not him. I just knocked him out <laughs> one of the funniest things <laughs> i've ever seen oh, what a recovery
1: but the way he talks about his mental health battle as well that's yeah. really admirable and inspirational absolutely yeah, yeah. i mean um,
2: he's what he, what i like um he's, he's 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 already given back and he's still a young man but he's got the maturity to to, to realize the fortunes he has and the talents he has, because they're God-given talents, you know, you're not just blessed to be six foot nine and, and dance around <laughs> like a middleweight, you know. <laughs> <laughs> these these are God-given talents. He recognizes that, and and as a young man, he's given back, and I really like that, you know, because um, if he can help one person, he's done a huge amount. If he can help hundreds, I mean, you can imagine what he potentially can do. Mm. So, so
1: does the Traveller community in general find his success and inspiration then, and is it a kind of like raised... Um, the profile of travellers worldwide through his success,
2: I think so. Yeah, I think somebody with that success, and as I say, as I said earlier, that portrayed himself as a, as a good guy, how can it be negative to us? It can only be positive, you know, from the Irish, Romany, traveller backgrounds. Which I think, yeah, if Tyson's actually got a bit of each. I think, I think Has his mum's a bit of Romany and his dad's Irish, so it's, it's a bit of each. So it's a it's a fine balance, perfect balance for both groups. Mm. Um, yeah, but fantastic. Yeah, can only be a positive. So you said it's it's like a nomadic
1: lifestyle then. So where were you actually born within that nomadic lifestyle?
2: Mm. Well, I was born in West London, okay. Um, about seven miles west of the city. Um, and we didn't have settlement then. My grandparents did, but they weren't licensed to have caravans, uh, only a couple of caravans. So we were still roaming around. So I come out of my hospital into a caravan
3: for the first 11 years as my family grew i've seen uh, a photo of that caravan it's very old style isn't it
2: yeah yeah beautiful back like in those days the old chrome in bits and pieces and you know my mum just like the other um gypsy girls that was their home and they were very very proud of that stuff you know that was so the polish the chrome the crown derby the Angsley, all the fancy crockery mm. they were only little small places but that was their own that's My dad was king of his castle, and it was a caravan. (laughs) (laughs) So that happened for 11 years for me, and before we we found settlement. What does settlement mean? Well, we we found an house in our case. Um, There was four of us born um, quite quickly together, within five years, and then my mum and dad, I was a baby for eight years, Mm. spilt rotten, and then my young brother came along, (laughs) right, and my baby (sighs) sister, and it quickly become apparent to my dad that we, we, we couldn't move around. There wasn't enough vehicles um enough drivers, et cetera so he 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 was looking for settlement, so we we luckily we found some settlement in West London again, where my great grandfather and grandfather then was handed the land down the line so it was it was owned for me it was a nice location because it it was where where I was sort of pretty much we were familiar with my dad was schooled there, et cetera, so, so that was settlement, yeah, if you're moving around then, how does school work <laughs> In my case, <laughs> there weren't no school, and it's quite strange again um my five brothers, the two brothers and three sisters, they all went to infantry school. So they went to their first school, as we call it. They didn't go secondary. But for me, I was always with my dad. And I never I never went to school. So can you read and write? Thank God I can. <laughs>
3: oh, Christ.
2: I got very <laughs> no, lucky. No, you
3: know, people can get ghostwriters. That's true. So That's, you wrote that
2: yourself. I got very lucky um, in terms of how I've to read and write. Yeah.
3: So you wrote the book yourself? I wrote the book myself, but I got lucky.
2: An old gentleman, we were camping um, in a field, a beautiful green field in Portsmouth, Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And this old bloke turned up in a car and nicely dressed and we thought he was somebody of authority probably asking us to move on. So we thought this would probably be the end of our stay in this nice green field. We'll be served with papers, which was part and parcel of the nomadic way, yeah. And um, he arrived out and he went, I'm here to help you people. I have a great way of teaching how to read. It should be recognised by the government. Um, please let me, allow me to help. So, you know, um, we embraced his offer with a cup of tea. My parents welcomed him into our trailer. And he learnt me the ABC quickly and, and then the pronunciations, you know, uh, of the ABC. And he continued to give his time from Portsmouth to Epsom in Surrey and Amworth and alzo respectively. That old man gave me his time, and I'm forever grateful. He, I actually mm. get emotional thinking about it. I can see yeah. it like yesterday. He given me his time, and quickly I picked up papers and whatnot, and I learned how to read.
3: So you had your own private tutor but, almost,
2: but but it just come out of nowhere. It wasn't planned, yeah. and he only spent about six or eight weeks with me. But he's, and that wasn't daily. That was once a week for six or eight weeks but he spent a few hours with me and he was so good at what he'd done and I was so interested I took it on board and I learned because my my dad um, in his early childhood whilst he was born in a gypsy wagon he had a gap where he was settled and my dad was schooled and he was very good at it my mum bless her was born in a gypsy wagon she didn't have um, a settlement and my mum couldn't read A from B so my mum and dad were two worlds apart in that field Mm. but thankfully I picked up this information from this kind gentleman Jim Needle I'd love for one of his family to come out and say that was my granddad or something because you know just even even for them to wear the word Mm. so I feel so indebted and thanks I couldn't imagine life now without reading yeah I really couldn't must be difficult it must be yeah Yeah. Yeah, exactly Yeah. what was your life like before you settled
1: (sighs) Um, in terms of like what memories have you got from those young years? What were the, like the highlights and?
2: Well, my my years were spent in my dad's scrap metal truck with vast predominance, and if because I didn't school, of course, and if it if it wasn't, it would be with my grandfather. So ra- his, is it rag and bone? Well, that, that's where we are historically. We were um, London totters, rag and bone men, um, yeah. as whilst we were obviously. Travellers, the Romanies. Well, settlement was always around London. But they were a typical London ragging bone men. Mm. And it just moved on to from horse and cart to metal dealing. So then buying and selling. Um, so my life was... was uh, my dad was a gambling man. My dad was a drinking man, as most people were in British culture in those days. And so I saw all the characters at race meetings, betting shops. And I quickly... I felt like I grew before my time without realising. I met some right characters, but then when we come back and, and play with our cousins, we'd play a variation of games. We didn't have um, the toys that the kids have got today. Uh, we made stuff. You know, we made things happen. So what, like? Well, we we would we would. Um, we, we'd, I, I got into golf. so We would make golf holes and chip in pots. So when I was into that early. We would obviously have boxing gloves, but bare knuckle fights um, with the angry side of the so so. so boxing was always there. Um, doing it without the gloves was always there, and we we'd do things. We would pretend we were like um we, <laughs> or, we like all horses at horse racing. We pretend to jump jumps <laughs> but We'd make all manner of things. You know when it when it was when it was icy, we'd make our own ice rink. We just we just grabbed. We we made what we had. But it was, it was great times. Great we times. Were really um as you probably noticed we were well fed and well loved and they were just great times really you know fantastic
1: i imagine some americans right now thinking what the hell is a rag and bone man? Yeah, man i used to get so excited when you heard a rag and bone coming around my neighborhood <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, how did yours go
3: it's like, any scrap metal. <laughs> yeah, I see... Well, When I was at my friends recently, there was one going around. Was there? Yeah. Describe what
1: what it looked like. like well, I the, didn't
3: see it. I could hear it. though. We were yeah, sat in yeah. a garden. It was a really hot summer's day. And we just said, any scrap <laughs> <square> metal. <Yeah. laughs> no.
1: Was it like a cart or anything?
3: I didn't know. Well, how mum's. does
2: a man typically go around? Well, in the old days, it would have been, you know, um, his awesome trolley, um, you know, so he'd be around and he would be... No, my rag and bones were shouting out stuff like that and um any old lumber, rag and bones a ring or the bell, anything yeah, to yeah, alert, yeah. and obviously yeah. when they got the alertness, they come out and they knew what they were there for. Yeah. But my dad tells me the story how his my great grandfather, his grandfather would um he was a good horseman and a, a, a typical um rag and bone man, a totter if you like, and uh he said, I oh, I like that jumper grandfather and I like those socks and yeah, well okay, you like that? Well I'll take the ones off you have <laughs> Um, because they would weigh him in for the weight of war, And he said he was such a tough old sod that he'd he come through two <laughs> world wars. He wouldn't give him a jump He said he had to take the one off the edge, yeah. But <laughs> interesting stuff, eh? Hey, yeah. So did you say that you were actually fighting
1: before you settled? Um,
2: fighting as in? Like, like, ki- as, as, kid. as, kids? Yeah, as kids, yeah. So yeah I, how does that start? Then at what age? Well, f- for me, <laughs> I, I had a cousin who, he absolutely adored, loved fighting. And he used to whack me. And um, I I was the baby and petted and babied up a little bit for eight years, as I said, I was a baby. So initially, I'd be walking away crying, and he just loved fighting. He was a baby, he it's what he enjoyed. So I didn't blame him for that. And um, on one occasion, I wanted to go out and play with my cousins. They were all in the field. This is near Epsom. We had some settlement there on on the site at Epsom. And we wanted to go out and play. And he went, I went for the door and he went, Yeah, you're going to. You're going to come back right again, aren't I said, not this time. I was so eager to get out and go and play with all my cousins. And um, I went out to play and my cousin went to throw the right hander again and I just went, dunk, bang, <laughs> have that one. And that normally deters them and stops them from beating you up. All it made was for a fantastic even fight. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately for me, I just had to have a, endure another four years with this tough, tough, nutcase of a fight that we were both big heavy kids the same age same weight for about four years on a god-given day he could knock me back off balance on another god-given day I could knock him off balance but we just couldn't beat each other we were perfectly evenly matched so we could fight three four times a week in the boxing gym at the Foley Boxing Club in Surrey and and we go back by day or night and do the same with duck gloves and um, this continued in until we eventually stopped so fighting for me um it was there from a six-year-old and uh i remember moving across to west london a site at cranford and i had a couple of fights there and uh my first ever paid fight would you believe i was probably about 10 now at this stage 10 yeah and i got my first pay and and what had happened we we we, we stayed on a site at cranford in a community school there was a school um right at the back of our site and some of my mates from the site would attend school in uniform, but I, I didn't go to the school. But I'd nipped through the, through the field and they set me up with a couple of fights with the tough lads at school. I remember one of them kicking me in the jaw, and he's about three years older. And I, I managed, I didn't win the fight, but I didn't lose the fight. But one of my first paid fights was in that community centre. They had a youth club in the evenings. And um, I remember this guy's name, Aiden, and he was a sort of 25 year old brother, the older brother running the youth club. And I had some 10-year-old dispute with his brother, who was about maybe 11 or something, smaller than me, but a bit older, 11 or 12. And we had a little bit of a scuffle like this, and he went, "Right, you two. And he got chairs, and he made a square ring of chairs. He went, right, have you wanted to have a fight, you sort it out properly, go for it. Well, bear in mind I've been fighting this, <laughs> this brutal cousin, yeah, who loved fighting for four years. And then I'll, I've come across the other side of London and I'm fighting this lad who probably maybe has not had too much of this experience. I'm a veteran. I've probably had hundreds of fights at this stage. <laughs> and I quickly go into this poor lad and I dismantle him and do a job on him. But fairness to his brother, he intervened, rightfully so, stopped us, rubbed us both on the head, give me 50 piece, 50 pence. 50 pence each we had. And we got a drink and a sweet. Now I'm thinking... This West London place, in compared to Surrey, is a doddle. I'm getting, not only I'm getting paid, <laughs> and I'm getting a sweet and I'm getting a drink, my opposition is like that in comparison to that. <laughs> so that was my first ever paid fight. And mm-hmm. um, that sort of took me up to the edge of my boxing. My brother was uh, he's five years, two months older than me. He was a seasoned fighter around the country, a good leading amateur, And um, he just suddenly stopped out of the blue. And I was then advertising for fights. I had about 15 or 20 what we called gym fights then. So they were boxing matches without results. And I went all around different various places, giving different ages and weights away. But I loved it and and doing okay with it. And right on the edges for me to get carded up, a medical card is what they called it, for then, then you could a rightful fight. My brother stopped out of the blue. And it was at this very period of time... Where we settled, my dad was off of the, My mum and dad were off of the house. And incidentally, he was right around the corner from my grandfather's yard, 200 yards away. So the boxing training had stopped. But what we were doing now was golf every day. So this is really fun now. We're golfing almost every day. So this is where my boxing stops and my golf kicks in at this point. And what age was that? So I'm now 10, 11. Mm-hmm. And. We get going nicely, and I always get emotional at this bit. This is the point when my grandfather dies, playing golf with me. So, sorry, but always, when I talk about this stuff, it's just like, in fact, of all days, it was the 14th of November, 1983. So, we're talking 38 years ago to this very day. Yeah, to this very day. So it's,
4: it's
5: to this me- very day, yeah. It's meant oh, to be wow. the,
2: in honour of him. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so bless him. Um He's on my mind every day, but of all days, it's full 38 years today, 1983. It fell on a Tuesday, playing around the golf, and this dreadful shock. Played old one he made a little wager for me that I beat the locals. Old one wasn't so great, Old 2 was a bit better. And I played this beautiful golf shot. I towered it over the trees, down on the flag, and I thought, grandfather's going to, yeah, he's going to like that one. And... It was at that stage. I glanced to my right and that was, that was it. He had a massive heart attack. And, um, if
3: you was, can, can you explain the scene?
2: Yeah, of course. I, I hit this golf shot down the left side of the fairway. Uh, excuse me. <coughs> my granddad did tell me it takes a man to cry, so I'm not worried about crying. He always told me that. And I just hit the ball down the left and was concentrating on getting the thing o- over the tree high enough, quick enough, onto the green and I'd done it, It it's a beautiful shot down and I looked over, initially I didn't think it was my grandfather because I dressed him in a young, in my dad's clothing because it was cold and um, when I say dressed him, I said my dad's cardigan, it was a Pierre Cardin cardigan, it was before my grandfather's dress era, so initially when I looked over, it wasn't in his dress sense, if you like, so I wasn't alarmed only then a split second, and I went, oh, shit. You got me? I had given him my dad's cardigan. So when I went to, to, to um, his, I quickly alerted aid and people there. When I eventually got the courage up to go to his side... As he had fallen he had a complete boxer's cut. I don't know if it was an old one opened, but it was a lovely neat when I say lovely neat cut, hard men don't worry about cuts on the eyes, right? No. They don't worry about that. That's just part and parcel. It was a lovely neat boxer's cut. I don't know if it was an old one had opened as he fell but he just looked so much like he was had been hit with a right hander and as he but but he he was counted out, he wasn't getting up. Yeah, that was the scene. And he was... I knew, I knew he was dead. He, he died on arrival to the hospital. He was announced, but I knew he was gone.
3: Pretty much. And how did that affect you?
2: <sighs> well, I, I'm a family man, you know. Um, it's me. It's my blood. It's me. It's, it runs r- right through me, you know. um It will forever affect me, but. of course, but I'm made of strong stuff he was I dust myself down, I don't cry about this, double get emotional about it on a daily basis, but when you ask me to live the scene, I live it, yeah, and um but i I look at it in a way he died prematurely at sixty five I think it's a bit premature, but um, I look at it now, if I got grandchildren. If one of my grandsons, I'd die watching them play golf. I'd say, right, bang on, son. That's a good way to go. But I I would try to make eighty-five. But if it's sixty-five, that's my destiny. Fifty-five, so bit. So he went in a pleasant way. There's never no nice way to go. And um, yeah, so it's affected me. But I've got all my strengths and characters. All the good bits come from that guy. All the bad bits are my fault. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my best mate died last year, Joe, and I believe the spirit of him lives on in me, and it sounds like it's the same thing with your grandfather. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Good. Is a traveller funeral different than from a UK traditional British person funeral?
2: I, I wouldn't say we're all human beings. We're all gr- grief-stricken. Um we predominantly get buried, which has changed the face of, that used to historically happen in mainstream, but now there's a lot of cremations. So I'd say slightly, we, we 97% of our funerals will still be burials, as opposed to that maybe a bit 50-50 in mainstream. So there's a little difference there, but we're still grief-stricken. We're human beings. We, we show respect. I don't think there's any difference in that sense. They, they tend to have fairly big gatherings. Um, they like to see them off nicely. It's their last thing with, with big floral tributes. But I think beyond all that show, mate, we're just all learning, aren't we, when this Course, happens? Yeah. Definitely. And what was your grandfather's funeral like? Oh, massive. massive yeah. Very massive funeral. Yeah. Fan- fantastic send off. I've got images somewhere in the book. You know, it looks like you look down, it looks like a state um, funeral. You'll you, probably oh, yeah. see it there somewhere. Oh, look at that photo look, of really. you,
3: black and blue. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Good that you've got pictures in your book. Yeah, it is in there somewhere. I'm fairly sure. Your wedding.
1: Wow, these are great pictures, aren't they?
3: Is that it? Where is it? Is it at the beginning? Oh yes, there you go. Can you see the line of funeral makes the papers 1983.
1: Wow. Yeah, there it is. Hundreds Hundreds on of the Gypsy King. Oh, that's fantastic, isn't
3: it? So we had a proper parade.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a very, very tough, harsh winter, I remember, but he still had a fantastic Turn send-off. Out. And, 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 you know, before social media, this is stuff, you know, 1983, you couldn't jump on Facebook and tell somebody that something happened, Mm-mm. but to have hundreds and hundreds of people there, yeah, that just underlines it, I think. So the news sped round. Yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah.
2: So what was your life like then, once you
1: settled... Then are you like pursuing the golf and the fighting more actively or are you going down one direction versus the other?
2: Well, now no, I'm a golf champion.
1: Are you a golf champion?
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll get into more emotional stuff. Well, my dad's now my best fan and my dad's since passed, So I, I get a bit touchy on these areas. But I'm very supportive. Um, I make a uh, a vow on my grandfather that I will be a golf professional and um, things are going swimmingly well. And um, I moved to a, Private golf club very difficult for people like myself, unless you because it's quite a a well to do game if you like it, because a to from a rich background or should we say uh or or who you know background you know so it was a bit of snobbery in the game even in the, in these days we're talking almost forty years ago yet yeah. so for me to get in a private club was a bit of a deal and I did get in a private club so I went initially at the municipal course and when I got to the private club I started then to really. We had perfect practice facilities. We had two practice grounds. There were two European tour players based there that would, would help me and look out for me. And I was just quickly come into my skills were really showing through. So I I won like the, the Richmond Open. I won the London Junior Open, which was a big event. Uh, it was televised. Dennis Thatcher giving me the prize. Margaret's, Margaret's husband then, the Prime yeah. Minister. Yeah. So we're talking about huge people. Yeah. It was a big event. BBC cameras were there announcing that I was a winner. I, I won uh, two course records to my name. Holy shit. I, um, I was the club champion. We have beaten a very, very good player. The bloke that was the previous champion and won it nine years out of ten and, and lost the year in the final we hadn't. So i would come into this club and all of a sudden they got that I was a gypsy and the success um, it bred resentment and they manufactured some complete and utter bullshit lies up on me. And... um. I got throughout the club and that was devastating for me that was another devastating impact
0: it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win
2: And I feared that we'd do it because I could see them manufacturing it. I, I had told my mate, Grant Harrison, who was a European tour player. He said, you're all right, Joe. I said, yeah. I said, uh, but but I'm a bit nervous. He said, why is I said, I think they're going to throw me out of the club. He so had a gut feeling. Yeah, I just knew it. And he went, don't be silly. He said, you just finished tied first in the Grand Challenge Cup. You've a course record holder. You've just won here. You've won there. You're the, you're the club champion. You're the London Junior Open champion. Don't be silly. They won't throw you out. And I went into this meeting on the false accusations they had made. Yeah. Total false. Nothing at all to do with me. The dispute they actually manufactured was nothing to do with me anyway. It was actually to do with my dad, right? So it should have been a, a situation between my dad and them. But they brought me in and um my worst fears were laid bare. Uh they asked you to resign. I said, Resign? What does that mean? I really didn't I mean I'm fifteen, maybe just on the age of sixteen now. I said July, so I was fifteen throat sixteen. <clears throat> and I actually didn't know what
3: resignation meant. So, talk That's, us through the manufacturing of the resignation. Because you said something about your father's fault. Well, what had happened?
2: I, I was at I one these events, these are some events. I think I won about seven events that year. I went to a place in Basingstoke, Hampshire, won the Junior Open. So, halfway round, um, we have food for the players, part of your entry fee. So, I'm playing with another couple of fellow juniors. My little brother, eight years my junior, is caddying. And me and the guys, the youngsters that were am playing with, other 15, 16-year-olds, what we were at the time, we'd finished our sandwiches and we said to my dad and my brother, we don't want those, you have them. So principally, as far as we were concerned, we paid for the entry fee to sandwiches or else. We decided to give them away. At the end, I went on to win the event at the end of the afternoon. My dad was presented with a bill of £4.25 wasn't a lot of money probably an expensive sandwich in them days but it wasn't a lot of money probably equivalent to 10 or or 12 pounds now so um excuse me um so my dad refused to pay for the sandwiches he said they were given to me So that was a dispute So that's how he didn't this club had reported to our club we refused to pay for sandwiches so this is now a debate a dispute sorry between my dad and the bar steward at Basingstoke Stoke Golf Club. Instead of it being left like that, they manufactured all manner of stories. Um, my older brother's speeding, in the, speeding off in the car, my young brother's pushing over fruit machines. All some total rubbish, complete and utter rubbish. None of this existed, none of it happened. But they decided, ask for my resignation from the golf club.
3: All over a sandwich. Hmm?
2: Wow. They
1: just wanted to get you out there one way or the other, didn't they?
2: Mm. The interesting thing was, I had a sidekick, a friend called Andreas Kikidas, of Greek parents. A nice lad, a good friend of mine, good golfer. And um, when shortly after I'd been thrown out of the club, Andreas and a policeman's son, who I don't know the name of, uh, the policeman's son got caught nicking out the pro shop. Well, Len Roberts is the head professional. When you're a golfer, he's your man. He's the governor. in your. If you're a wannabe golfer, he's the man you look up to. They got caught thieving out of his pro shop. Whilst Andreas didn't thieve, he was aware of the theft. So he got a six-month suspension, I think, as did the policeman's son. He got a six-month suspension. And the then PGA ex-tour professional, Len Roberts, good golfer, gentleman, he was witness saying, where's the justice? The gypsy boy that wouldn't take a tee too many from my shop, if he added, let me know. Gets kicked out for life over a sandwich dispute. The policeman's son comes nicking in my shot, and he gets six months. And Len was a gentleman, but he was reported swearing. He said, where the fuck's the justice? So that just gives you some idea. So that impacted my golf career massively. Because now what you've got to... This is going to be probably difficult, because I don't think either of you are golfers, are you? No.
1: I used to go to potting.
3: Um, oh my <laughs> god! Or crazy golf. What
1: driving ranges? Driving ranges.
3: Oh right, I thought you were going to say crazy golf. I'm that too. That yeah. I
2: love a good driving range because <laughs> it's just like whack,
3: whack, whack. Are you want to at crazy whack? golf?
2: Uh, probably crazy at really.
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> I did have golf yeah,
2: clubs when
1: like I a kid, my dad used to take me oh, playing oh, golf. Oh, was oh well
2: done. Um, <laughs> so what? You, what you will miss, and mm. your audience here globally, right? Some will get it, mm. and some won't. But trust me, if you got kicked out of a private golf club, when you went to the next one, they say, where were you remember it? Mm. Ah, and the, you needed a background check. So no different, you? No different if you were going to get a job in the post office and your previous offence was stealing stamps. So you're not going to get the job, are you? So I then had to revert back to a public golf course and the practice facilities, the input of cash is not in them places, And before we knew it, I give the golf almost a two-finger salute. Mm. I'm not a quitter, but I was in a dodgy little period of time. I didn't know how to handle what had happened to me, Mm -hmm. as did my parents not. They weren't experienced in that field. And quickly before we knew it, um, we got to an age where I then had all my knuckle fights between the age of what I call my adult knuckle fights. I defended my family and my family only from the age of fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen. Now I'm a boy, bear in mind, but all my opponents were adults. So what I call my adult knuckle fighting happened from when I was a teenager, from fifteen to nineteen. I won these fights, even even a couple of them when I was still a a golfer at Own Park at fifteen, sixteen. That that's still in that time period, but I'd beaten a couple of seasoned professional fighters with mm. names and reputations as a boy. Now, I'm not boasting. All I'm saying is I beat them. I'm not saying I'm Muhammad Ali. I'm not saying they are, but i beaten them. And that then gets a reputation. I then started getting my ego massaged. Pats <laughs> on the back. Before we know it, it happened like a, a, a merry-go-round, a million miles an hour. We was just involved with fights, and we were in a culture where... The Cray film come out. The Goodfellas. So they're portraying villains. There's cool guys. You know, the Godfather. And before we knew it, it was stupid, stupid rubbish. And I can see it's total lot of shit now. But it was firms and violence. And we need a front man for this job. And that's when in the criminal and the violence and all the crap that I don't enjoy now happened. I can't change it. But it happened. So my golf was on and break up on Skid Row. So um, I got off on a charge. Um, I got lucky on a, on a charge. I got off on a case. And my dad, I went home to see my dad. He gave me some own truths. And um, I just, at just a point in my life, one thing I will say to you, you Sean, Jan, is. I might be fairly useless at most things, but I am a quick learner. If I, <laughs> if I see something, I can learn something quick. And it all spun around, and I just was home with my mum and dad. It was amazing. On this occasion, there was, no, it was normally a house full, but on this occasion, it was just me, mum, and dad. And this hard man, this youthful bloke that beat that pro fight, I was like a little boy listening to my dad. mm defenseless, no defense, hands tied behind my back, it all become apparent (sighs) how disappointed I made them, and I thought, nah, sorry mate, goodbye that life, this life is down over my shoulder, downwind, left shoulder gone, that life's going for me, and it wasn't quite as easy as one, two, three, I sit at a few old cronies saying, come on, let's get the firm together. Let's go and do this. I mean, No, I'm playing golf, mate. Right, you're a coward. Call me what the fuck you like. Call me a coward if you like. Be what you want. I'm right, not going down, getting five or six, seven years. My dad offered me a chance to play golf. I got lucky. I was pointless. I wasn't a violent man in Nature by as a kid. I wasn't violent. and I didn't. And it, it just all... Happened so quick. and I was then moving forward. So my dad offered me an opportunity to play golf as a professional with a friend of mine, Alan Jarrett, who incidentally is from a minority golf professional because he's a black fella. So he too was a bit unusual in that field. He was a gypsy <laughs> and a black man going out to Sweden to become golf professionals. <laughs> and that's what we did. And okay, we turned up and we probably messed up a bit. but we both pursued, I pursued, And that was my career, from the budding star that could land a ball on a six-months with all the skill set, all the imagination. I was broken, nervous,
5: fallen as a golfer. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts, and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions, so you don't have to. I had a friend once who was absolutely obsessed with signing up for things. In the old days, he actually had to use a pen and paper, but because it's only a click away, he ended up... "'connected not just to magazines, the online versions, "'but just about every streaming service there was. "'I thought he was odd, but really, looking back on it, "'he was no exception. There's so many people like that. "'He got onto this Trubel app. "'He used it, and, well, he certainly saved himself a lot of money. "'It seemed to offer him the choice of getting out of all the stuff "'that he couldn't remember.' He did quite well out of it. I uh, tried to convince him it was my idea. Truebill has over 2 million users and helped save them over $100 million. Like Matthew B., who says, In a matter of seconds, I saved $660 for the year on my Direct TV bill, I saved $120 for the year on my Sirius XM bill, Saved $840 a year on car insurance. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start cancelling today at Truebill.com. Slash Sean. Go right now, Truebill.com. Slash Sean. It could save you thousands. Thousands a year. Truebill.com. Slash Sean. But again, when you become a
2: professional in those days, it's different now. You had to stay a professional or wait two years before you compete could compete as an amateur. I stayed as a professional for I stayed as a professional. I didn't do the amateur route back. And I was a laughing stock amongst professionals. I was aware of that, but something deep inside me wouldn't allow me to give up. I didn't know how to give up. I wasn't gonna give up. I made a pledge and I tidied up a few things, including my dress code and I got my act together and I started playing good golf better golf and I started winning checks and making cuts and I was no longer the laughing stock as a British golf professional I was now a player I had broken certain barriers would go on you know further down the line but I made achievements as a golf pro and now I was respected as a golf pro and then at that stage it made me happy because I had this fulfilment from my grandfather you know um, yeah so I got my playing rights on various tours I know you're not golfers but I got my he went through qualifying schools. I, I, I played on European Tour events. I played on, on, on the European Challenge Tour events. I had number one playing card on the EuroPro MasterCard Tour. I was a European father-son champion with, with my son. So I'd done my piece. I got all the... I didn't fulfill the dizzy heights um, that maybe I was predicted as a kid, but I had a rough road. I had some people in there interfering with that, you know, putting barriers up. But I got over it. And as I say, I didn't fulfill my dream of planning a major championship. I went to six final qualifiers, nearly made it, but I didn't. But I had a fantastic journey doing so. And um, my boxing kicked in when I was about 29 or 30. I often wondered what would happen had I pursued a of boxing career, because mm. I'd done enough of it, right, as a kid. And then I was in this sort of dilemma as to where I go with the British Boxing Board of Control. I go unlicensed professional boxing. So with my age 29, approaching 30, I decided I got more money offered as an unlicensed professional over two-minute rounds. Is that quite a late start, 29, 30, into the uh, It's not world. usually, but it is, it is really. But bear in mind, I wasn't from a complete standing start. I had a lot of... I knew what fighting was about from, from, a, from a little boy. So... um and that's where I pursued then my unlicensed professional boxing career, running parallel, believe it or not, with <laughs> with my golf career, which is quite unusual. What do you think to Tiger Woods? <laughs> well, just awesome, isn't he? I mean, he's awesome. Uh yeah. I mean, records records speak for themselves, don't they? He's he's the second most achieved player ever, and you know, arguably the greatest in some people's opinion, but absolutely awesome, yeah. And have you met him? Yeah, I have actually. I have got oh, really? a good story on that one. Mm. Ooh, I like a good story. <laughs> <laughs> And check out the book in the description box. Yeah, 1998, um, I reached the final qualifying, so I went through regional stage of a qualifying for the Open Championship, or the Open Championship, the one where I had my dream. And um, things had changed a little bit then, but uh, from then, but then all the world leading players outside the top fifty had to qualify, and they had to come over to the UK to qualify. So the qualifying was just outside of Liverpool Hillside and the actual main venue next door was Berkdale where the Open Championship was being played. So they uh, notified all the competitors from Hillside qualifying that your practice ground will be used as a car park because all the World top players have left the Scottish Open and they'll be arriving on Sunday whilst we're playing Sunday and Monday to qualify. So you will be sharing the practice ground with... All the players that have already qualified. So there we go. We get escorted around me and my caddy, my brother, John, and we're down the line and we're we're practicing. And we have Tiger Woods literally 10, 15 yards from me, you know, two two bays down on a grass range. We're hitting balls. My hero, Bernard Langer, I'm about to hit this shot. My brother says, You bet it is one good brother, your man's here. My my golfing idol was Bernard Langer. Luckily enough, I did. I hit a good shot. But me and Tiger Woods are hitting golf balls. The wind was so strong. It was the only venue that wasn't called off for of the other four qualifiers. The wind was so strong, we were like little boys hitting the golf ball hundreds of feet up in the air in front of you and it was coming back to your feet almost. <laughs> wow. And so that was my experience with Tiger Woods. We were all <laughs> acknowledging and laughing all the way down the line. But he was we a nice
3: bloke. Yeah. Well,
2: he didn't really w- walk up and say, hi, Tiger. And so he was, he was still a massive player in 98. I think he was still world number one or about to be. In nineteen ninety eight, but we were all having a, a gimmick and a laugh and hitting the ball together on the same selfie stick <laughs> wasn't around then, you know. Yeah, and I've been trying to get the overhead footage somewhere. It's <laughs> got to be there somewhere. But uh, that was my nearest experience with Tiger. I've been in really? the same event. But um I played in the same event the famous year when Justin Rose almost won the event, so that it's all, all the same year. But that was that was a great memory and my parents um looked over and went, hey, look, he's next to his man, Langer, he's been waiting for this moment, you know, and that was another Really hard it and emotional. Beautiful time for me. That, but that was probably one of my highlights as a professional, yeah. Oh, fantastic. And I nearly qualified. I, I just missed by a few shots that year. And I played with a Ryder Cup player and come back and out my head. Away. I played with Pierre Folk from Sweden. And, um, yeah, so that was a fantastic week.
3: I bet you were shitting yourself playing in front of Tiger. Oh. that you did fuck up.
2: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> People don't understand, you yeah.
3: know, w- walking down into a... a
2: a gypsy campsite for a fight—you're shitting yourself because you have got to do the business, and it's a dangerous sport. But it's not as nerve wracking with hundred people hovering around the first team. You're playing with a Ryder Cup player. Trust me, <laughs> we're near as—you wow. know—nerves jangling, different type of control. You yeah. know. Um, but that's why we do it. That's why I love both of my sports.
3: Yeah. Well done.
1: So earlier on, then you mentioned how you just like got through a situation with the law. What? What was your first brush with
2: the law? Well, there's no good crime, is there? But I call it good, old-fashioned, honest crime, really. But when I say good, old-fashioned, honest crime, we didn't take it to residential homes. It was, it was. um, I'm not glorifying it, and I'm not saying it's right, but there's like factory robberies and and stuff like this. And, of course, violent encounters with other firms, and we called it firms. What a load of rubbish it was. (laughs) We were all young boys and men, you know, had nothing better to do to try and prove that we had a tougher firm than that one what mindless crap that was if any young lads are listening don't go down that road son please that was another load of rubbish mm. but we didn't know any different then and i do now so please don't go down the bumpy road either keep on the smooth one
3: so what were the lads like
2: who befriended back then well it was, it was some, some 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 were good lads and some were staunch lads and what what you add? You you see, some people would want you to commit crimes or or be a front man, and they weren't willing to do it themselves, and that was the reason for backing out. Mm. You know what I mean? I I'm willing to go and get if it goes wrong, a five, six, seven, eight years, knowing that. And they don't want to do that. They want to they want to hang on to your clan or hang on to your shirt tails, but they don't want to go the full wog And or if you pulled off a bit of crime, I'd I'd go and. Spend mine in a restaurant and let us know we had it all. You know, bottle of champagne, get him this, get him that. they pull it off and keep it. And there's things like that I got tired of. I think I just, you know, I'd seen it, had done it, and it, it didn't impress me. I had no, nobody to advise. I had to learn myself. But some of them are good lads and they're still my mates. Some of them are brilliant lads. And it's all learning curve as well, bear in mind. But, um, yeah, that, that's what really was, when I saw seasoned... Supposedly ardent men with reputations When you really got to know them They wouldn't just go that forewog And commit that crime Or have a fight with that person And you thought, hold on You're just being mugged off here mate You're just being led here for a mug But my dad could see that easily But I couldn't You know what I mean And I had to take the knocks and bruises And the bumpy journey But I was very lucky Because I didn't get a big stretch of prison You know I was lucky, thank God. How did you get caught? <sighs> oh, because <laughs> I didn't get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> I got caught at the scene. At try, the scene. Get at the scene. Trying to do gotcha. something. You know what it's like. You, you, you don't get away with crime. Caught you get at the, caught. the scene. You don't get away with crime because you get caught. That's Were there dogs? Sorry. The, what the police turned up? Yeah, I mean, it's variation. Yeah, as I say, you um, caught in the act almost. Or well, someone who called it in. Oh yeah, it's always, it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's always a tip off or a, or a snitch somewhere. But you know, mm-hmm. in fairness, mm-hmm. the, the stitch might be a straight nine to five goer. I don't mind. I don't mind. I don't call people grasses who are nine to five. They they the law abiding citizens. They need the law. Not a problem with that. The only disappointment I get with stitching is when people within, you know. <laughs> Tip-offs and whatever, you know, it's a different, don't never don't hold, uh, hold anything against a nine-to-five or in the police, that's their business, you know, it's what they do, but when you're in the criminal world, mm-hmm. and, um, and there's a few of them lurking around, ain't there? anyway, I don't want to talk about that, moving how, on. How, yeah.
1: old, how old were you then when the cops grabbed you?
2: Well, it was in that period from when, uh, that, that sort of period after my golf, the sort of 18, 19... 20 year old and, and like did you have to go down to the police station and all that stuff Yeah, no, we and... had a little bit on remand we probably nicked yeah of course we'd be yeah. nicked, nicked a few times
1: and did that make you think twice about doing that stuff or did it at that age we were invincible
2: well at the end of the day we went in if we got a three or a four or a five it's, we, we knew what we were doing we went to do it mm. You know, I knew that. I knew that if, you, if, if you're committing a, a, a robbery of a factory of 100 or a gear or something, you get nicked, you know you're going to go to prison, don't you? Yeah. I knew that before I put my overalls on. Yeah, yeah. So if you got nicked, if you got off with it, great. Mm-hmm. But if you got nicked, you, you, you knew what you were facing. It's, you know, I wasn't that silly. I was naive, but I knew if I got nicked, there was going to be a penalty to pay. Mm.
1: Yeah. When I got nicked, my best mate was with me and a lot of other fellas were with me. So, I, you know, I knew people um, in the system. So, when you were in the system, was there a lot of travellers, uh, people, like co defendants in there with you? Like, was in my case, or?
2: No, it a, a couple of times. I think it was it was mixed. Times I've been nicked, or a couple of times with travelling boys, a couple of times with non travelling boys. But, um, yeah, but they, then the old will, they mark your card, don't they, once you start getting nicked? Yeah. And that's mm. the other thing. Yeah. And, um, especially then when I got nicked, I was up the road, I was away from London, I was up the road a bit and it was a smaller area and they sort of start marking your card. Mm. You know what I mean? And they think, they come back, search my trailer and find by the carver and gloves and they just think you're then a serious, serious criminal and mm-hmm. I weren't really, I was just a criminal but they yeah. think you're serious and all of a sudden everywhere you move, uh, you're under surveillance and it was all that stuff but that, that sort of, you know, because I like to think I weren't an idiot. There's no, Point, whilst I knew if I got three or four years in prison, but still nothing glorified. It ain't clever about going in there. There's clever men in prison, but it ain't clever about going in prison. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So like, yeah, that, that's how it sort of worked for me. And but, but coming back to the golf, it's been a, it's been a, such a, it's been a lifesaver for me because you meet so many nice people. Well, then suddenly instead of plotting, meeting in a pub at eleven o'clock, having a a light hour and plotting the next move. <laughs> We're meeting for breakfast, playing around the golf, then having a beer, seeing how we can get better. It's a totally different group of people. And uh, what I've learned to, what, I've, what I've, I've learned, lived to learn, is these nice people, yeah, come from so many fantastic different backgrounds. And that's what I love about people. You know, they come from so many different backgrounds. and You don't have to be, this is a message for the youngsters, you don't have to have an hard, tough dad. Yeah, you don't have to have scars on your face to be a nice bloke. Mm-mm. You know, there's so many nice people out there. You get to meet them. And it could be quite a quiet bloke in the corner. And you might say, well, he's a bit shy. Maybe you're not a nice person. He's just a little bit shy. You get to know him. He's a fantastic, beautiful person underneath that. That's what I've learnt in life. And golf's learnt me so much to meet some fantastic people and to conduct yourself, even down to proper dress code and tuck your shirt in and wear a collar and wear some trousers and some shoes, those little things, shake hands, take out out off at the end of the round. They're priceless. They're little, they might be little minnow things in the scheme of things, but I'll tell you what, they go a long way, mate. Go a long way, those little things, for me to do anyway. I think what's so inspirational
1: about you, Joe, is you've got this winner mentality. So like you succeeded at the fighting, mm. you succeeded at the golf, you're a successful author. Would you say that, it seems like the fight mentality was laid down first. Would you say that, Winning the fight mentality transferred over to the golf and the psychology of being a successful author is is the parallels there?
2: Well, I think whilst both from my mum and dad's side, I come from fighting a breeder family, a lot of professionals and from both sides and top knuckle fighters. There may have been some genetics there, maybe possibly, but I think it was more like our way of life. My mum got up in the morning. As did my dad. And they didn't know if they had two bob ahead of them. There was no securities, right? No social securities. No handouts. Their way was they just got to get up today and they got to go and make a living. And I think that was just so, from a young age, that was we just found a way. we go and make a living. And if you don't hurt people along the way, you haven't done too bad. So my mum would sell Lucky Ever, Charms. Read their hand. Tell them nice things they wanted to hear. She never hurt Palm nobody. reading. Palm reading. Yeah, I don't know if she could read them or not. <laughs> but she used to look at people's hand and get money for it. But she told people nice things. She didn't hurt nobody along the way. As my dad, he honestly dealt in scrap metal. He didn't feed his scrap metal. He honestly dealt in it. And they were just versatile characters. They get up and then we could be traveling around different parts of the country where my dad knew nobody. But he would go and find some factories to have a deal and a trade. As would my mum, going in front of people she'd never met before, present herself, both come home with food on the table. And I think that installment is we'd find a way. I think seriously now, what I'm saying, I don't mean to sound boastful. Romany travellers to the people I know, my family, they're the hardest working people I've ever known. If they got an opportunity, now the opportunity has grown for them, they got an opportunity, you trust me, they'll go out and work and take it. Mm. There'll be none of this, excuse me, mate, I am i can't make Friday because I'm fishing. Or These guys will be there yesterday morning, yeah. yeah, to do some work if the opportunity come their way. And now it's presented, the world is a smaller place, if you like, now with the social media's activities and the doors are open and the settlement so my advice to them young lads is, again, just go and get a career. There's every op- opportunity there. Now, I mean, I'll give you an example. My niece is a school teacher, and she's heading to be an ed teacher. My mum's cousin is a surgeon, an uh, hip surgeon. So we have come places. We've got opportunities. And this, th- this, is, this is getting better for us. Uh, it's a nice opportunity for mainstream and Romanies to knock down some barriers. Definitely. Share our culture come together in love because we, we don't travel much anymore we, we are settlement so there's every opportunity we could yes okay we could be doing your, your landscape gardening but there's every opportunity now with settlement and be taxpayers the people you know you see in your community So there's every opportunity now we can come together more
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky? In line at the deli I guess? Aha! In my dentist's office More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void reprohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: I'd like to see that because there's been two standoff groups, mainstreaming ourselves.
3: What is this? Milky world behind, and mm-hmm. it's not that different. So, what do you think of that program, Big Fat Gypsy Wedding? It's on quite. It's quite popular. Big Fat Gypsy Wedding. Oh, I think it was yeah. a load of rubbish for me. I wouldn't watch
2: it. Really? I've seen. I've I've seen it enough to know that it's rubbish.
3: I it got really mixed reviews. Quite bad. Some of. Them. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm.
2: uh, yeah. To me, it's just a load of rubbish. It's was
3: basically over the traveller communities. Uh, women, obviously, women and men get married and they film it, and they just. It's a bit extreme. Was it? Yeah.
2: Yeah, they just picked out footage that suited them. I don't think you've done. Mm. I don't think you've done justice. Clickbaiting. Clickbaiting. I yeah, yeah. don't think you've done justice. So. so you said
1: like there's the like the mainstream then. So discrimination over the years. Did you have to suffer discrimination?
2: Yeah, but it was a barrier. Um, again, my my parents told me you will get called names. You, this will happen to you. But right over it. It won't break your bones. It's names. You will have this. So I was ardent to the what fact... What sort of names? Well,
1: we might keep them out.
3: Oh, we might have to keep them out, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, don't, don't repeat the names. <laughs> well, we're commonly known as... Bows, and I, again, I think... Timestamp. I, I think pro rata. We're the cleanest people on earth. I know we're clean. I know we go out of our way to be clean. There might be exceptions, as in all people. But that's just one typical name, because they didn't have the facilities of running water. They didn't think we'd wash. Well, that wasn't the case. We got a nice clean wash, from red to toe. But I mean, just just one of many names. And I've seen my dad point blank refuse to drink in the pub. My dad was a nice, nice, big, big-looking, strong-looking man. Lovely man, my dad. Refused point blank. Don't serve travellers in here, mate. Really. Yeah, yeah. Is that still going on? Is that... Oh, mate, very going? much so. Is it? Very much so. I promise you, faithfully, a lot more than you think. They mm. now have to do it politically correct, so they make another. Now, I mean, recently we were asked for ID. I mean, in the pub with my son, who's 26, the other one's 28. Another guy who had his ID was, like, 21. He had his ID with us. We need ID. It's just a polite way of saying, I said, mate, this, this bloke's 28. He actually looks 38, doesn't he? He doesn't look 28. Mm. We need ideas. A polite way of saying we're not serving you. you know what I mean?
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so when you was a kid, then if people said these names to you, um, you'd already been warned by your parents. But it must have like shocked you a little bit to be discriminated against,
2: perhaps. No, it didn't shock. As I say, we were warned. You were because you were warned. Did you get yeah, bullied? Yeah. No, we, well, I never went to school, but yeah. we, we would probably get bullied in another way. Yeah. But in the nicest way, children are bullies; that they don't mean to be. The children are children, you know. I'm not saying all children are bullies, but a lot of children are bullies. So, looking back on it, that's. But I'll give, I'll give you an example. I run a kids' football team back in the day, right? And um, all of our players were white, except from one one kid. I think we had maybe two black play, one mixed race, one black player. So you can clearly see the difference of an ethnic minority if a kid's black but you wouldn't know if they're white we had then a, a mixed group of white players that were Romanies and, and gorgeous mainstream the kids got the pitch oh, and are you so the kids addition out to our team and I they don't they, that's been installed not by the kids it's been installed by the managers and the players and the parents because the kids wouldn't know another white kid from another white kid they wouldn't know which one's a Romani and which one's not mm. they go to the same school to speak the same accent right so, it you know this this is uh, it's it's been going on a long time, and we're not too bitter about it, but we are one of the very last few minorities we're the biggest ethnic minority in Europe, but we're the last standing one that seems it okay to take it on the chin when all other ethnic minorities are jumping on their aiss and standing ground and I'm not gonna speak here, stand ground in. And every way, I'm just saying it's time to break down barriers and let us, we got work to do as well. Our mainstream's got work to do, and I would really, in my lifetime, for the bit I've got left, please God, another 20, 30, 40, I would like to, to see some of those barriers knocked down and bridges built. I really would, because I've got so many lovely friends that are gorgeous, and I've got so many lovely friends that are Romanies, and they're all humans, they're all people. I go in my wonderful church, I look around. I see some of my friends over there, of different backgrounds. Some of my friends that are black, and we're all one. Yeah. I don't do the color, creed, background crap. I do good guy, bad guy stuff. You know what I mean? That's me. So, and it's and it's my family because you know we. That's the way we were. Everybody was equal, and I would like to knock those 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 barriers down. In all honesty, even if I could only knock a couple down, I ain't gonna change the world probably. You know, maybe Tyson Fury's a big, loud man and a big, strong man. Maybe his voice would be a bit stronger. Maybe he could get it Let's over. Get but we could it. we could knock them down between us, possibly.
1: What stories have you got from your fighting days? Like, who were your hardest opponents? What kind of injuries did you get any? sustain any injuries? Dif- difficult
2: moments fighting people? or? Well, in boxing terms, they're probably, probably tougher in, in sparring, really, because I fought a lot of – sparring with a lot of champions – um i've broken bones in your hands and stuff in the knuckle fights they were more painful than the facial than the facial um
3: how many bones have you broken
2: oh probably five or six in my hands probably you know like you use you knock a knuckle up that's broken and knocked away and you knock this this joint up here and that's knocked away and broke away and and chips on your bones but they, they probably hurt as much as the facial punches in all honesty Probably more, much more actually But you know, you, you wouldn't know With a boxing, you've had thousands and thousands of rounds Very often the punch that hurts It could be the bloke where you're not warmed up You don't really know him You've dropped your guard down a bit You ain't seen the punch coming And that could hurt more than If you're spying with a European champion Where you're then very vigilant of Or you know, is aware of is a really good fighter So you can't really tell Where you get these knocks and injuries from You just get them and you know, and um I, I always like to f- speak highly of my opponents because I even if I beat an opponent, it takes two men's heart to make a fight. If somebody had a knuckle fight with me, his heart is exactly the same as mine, he's going in with me, he's doing the same job. So I never ever speak ill with my opponents. I believe that boxing good boxers have a really tough life, bad boxers have an even tougher life. So we we'll respect all the guys from world number four hundred up to the world number one. So
3: mm-hmm. how do you correctly throw a right hook? <laughs> a right hook? Yeah.
2: Oh, it's a good question because a right hook—it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's quite an unusual punch for um, an orthodox fighter. But gotta be, you've got to be—you've got—you've got have your balance in the right place, Jan. So if you're off balance, you shouldn't be throwing right hook. So. You've got to be, so what should
3: I be throwing? So you I'm getting get up to ring. And, you yeah, get, up and get instructed. You know, you've got
2: to be sat into your right side. It's no good being balancing to your left side. If you're going to throw a right up. So okay. you need a, a little bit of bending your knees. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of bending your knees. You need to be on your right side. See, I
3: thought you'd. Have to be on
2: your and then you can almost, almost um, throw a straight punch. We need to hook your arm. So instead of it traveling in that direction, it'll go boop, and a bit of shoulder. A bit so of a little shoulder. bit of knee, little bit of knee, shoulder, and round the corner it goes. that's that's not bad that's a pretty that's that's, that's, that way that way (laughs) that's that's in between a hook and a straight that's a very good effort I think we could maybe make a fight review just yet (laughs) definitely I'm
1: up for that did you have signature moves or like preferred punches that you like to catch someone out with
2: secret move no I mean like um, one thing I've always been vigilant of and I was told really really from my family I come from a family fighting family as I've already expressed do not ever ever Be boastful of your fight, and it's a big taboo amongst real Romani men. It's a big taboo. You don't boast about you're any good. So I'm standing here, sitting here, telling you guys, I've known Muhammad Ali. i just done what I did in front of me. I survived. If I could win a fight without hurting somebody, I would do that as well. I had no intention of hurting somebody. I also had myself to think of. So if I could win a fight with a couple of gears in hand, I was quite noted for that. I wasn't interested in hurting anybody. I didn't have eight in my heart, body, naturally, and I thank God for that and my parents. So you had fighters like Mike Tyson probably would want to hurt you. Yeah. He probably would want to hurt you. Yeah. Maybe Lenny McLean, he probably would want to hurt you. But not this gypsy lad. I didn't, I just wanted to win my fight and get my own backside out of it in one piece. That's all I was interested in. Not interested in pleasing crowds, others. Just getting a thing called a W
3: going on safely. Wow. So, what was, sorry, I've completely lost the track of what then, timestamp? <laughs> God, I had a really good. <laughs> what What was the right. most
1: difficult fight you had?
2: Most difficult fight I had? Good question. Um, probably dragging myself from depths of the spur as a golfer and getting myself back into world rank contention from being the worst UK golf professional ever of my time to being a world rank professional, and that's probably the hardest fight I ever had. And why were you in the depths of despair
1: at that point of your life?
2: Why? Mm-hmm. Well, because I'd uh, not practiced my skills. I'd shunned a life of crap behind me, and I was a broken man as a golfer. But I still had some... I'd, uh, I had a locker there. And inside the locker was some ability, but I lost the key, so I had to go and find it. I searched for three, four, five years of really hard work. And what I am proud of myself is that when I got my form back, I worked really hard. The gypsy lad who was almost last every week would be seen to be working harder than everybody else. That makes me proud, those things. Doing 10-hour days on a golf course, practicing, no matter what, the weather is practicing, working. Possibly working too hard. But I don't think you can work too hard. Probably if I could have turned the clock back, I wouldn't have worked as hard. I'd probably try and too hard to get good. But when I look back on it, you can't work too hard, can you? Because when you get the fruits, you know, of success, then they're all worth it tenfold. makes it taste a lot better.
3: So what did you prefer, honestly, boxing or golf, if you could only choose one? It's a very good question. Um, and I just, only just
2: favor golf only just okay yeah and i my sons all play golf and they all box and i never pushed them to do either sport if i had a preference of a career for them i would choose golf um i just think it's got a longer lifespan but bear in mind you you meet some lovely lovely people in boxing and it's the nice the hard men are normally the gentlemen of life and the real wild men. Now we, we talked about the pretend hard men. Now you got the real wild men, and with vast predominance, they are lovely, lovely people. They're soft arts, so they're nice people in boxing. But all in all, I probably just edge with the golf.
3: So, who have you met through boxing these hard men? Well,
2: I've met numerous of champions, and and uh, over the years, you know, so, you know, um, numerous hundreds, hundreds of champions, you know remember Terry Spinks was a, a friend of mine, a little 1956, our first Olympic gold medalist. We was friends with the Finnegan Brothers gold medalist. and um, My uncle, Johnny Frankham uh, was a British champion. Um, and, uh, you know, some of my sparring partners were champions. And and uh, John Conti, we'd done a bit of work together and, on, on a golf show, so he was champion of the world. So, yeah, so I've met loads, it goes on and on. But uh, very nice people. All those guys I mentioned are just tough, tough hard men you know and um, another guy um i I actually i would like to take a small opportunity to to remember him the legendary les stevens was a friend of mine and i because of all the covid and the lockdown sadly died through covid so i'd like to take this opportunity to his family um to remember him as a legend and, and a gentleman because i didn't get wind of his funeral with all the lockdown and whatnot so i'd just like to take that he was a a nice man no it it, was exactly it was all upside down but as a boxer many people paid their own tribute and i haven't had chance so hopefully this is a small way of saying god bless you liz and your family lovely man Hmm. yeah good man
1: where do you get your determination and
2: perseverance from (sighs) i think um if you know my family you know they were determined people they were sportsmen they were this determined they determined to compete at anything but as back to what we said um versatility we had to be versatile you know um we go out there get a living um just my upbringing i think i think it was my, my my upbringing my my family are determined characters you know um not me but some of my families are have been noted to fight for two hours in bloody wars and won't won't give in and continuation you know continuing that. I don't want to talk about those names on camera, but it's 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 in my genes somewhere, and I'm a nice guy. Bear in mind, I'm not a I'm not really a fighting man. That's just a phrase I went through. I'm a, a lover,
3: lover, not a fighter. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but there's something lurking there. Seriously, there's something lurking there in the background that makes me determined. And I don't know what it is. Don't ask me to go and find it because I don't know. It's just <laughs> there. I know it's there, but I can't find it. You've either got it or you haven't, I think. Well, But also, we wake up different days. I mean, especially in the sport of golf, we wake up days where it's very difficult because um, that's a tough sport in itself. But other, and we, we get all God-given days where it's meant to be our day. You know, we have a good day at the office and that's where my little achievements come with the golf. But I think determination is having the perseverance having being knocked down being knocked down being knocked down or or, you know as a golfer having 10 12 bad weeks but you're trying harder you're actually practicing harder and a bad run than you're on a good run i always had that ability most people give up when things are bad for me when things are bad i work harder at it Mm. that's my that's probably my gift and that's in business if my business if my, my, my business is going well i we might put a nice suit on and watch and go racing or something yeah. have a day off if my business is going bad things are struggling i'll work harder than any of my staff put together so that's just my
3: character when when the going gets tough you've got to get tougher so you've got some lovely family photos in here saying you're a family man is that your children that's
2: three of my children, I believe. That's my baby. That's Erin Reimer. that should be four of my children. Actually, can I take a picture? Oh yeah, of course. My mince pies ain't what they used to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's four of my children, Chris and then and, and my niece. I've since added. Uh, me and my beautiful wife have added to the addition since. How then. many
3: have you got? <laughs>
2: we got five. Five children. Yeah, we and we raised my wife's cousin from a young age. he's Sadly lost his mother and his dad mm. done a long prison sentence who's since passed on so we brought him up so we really we have six
3: so how old yeah, so. were you when you had your children
2: i've <sighs> been 24 my wife was 21 maybe i think yeah we married at 18 and 21 respectively a couple of years after something like
3: that yeah yeah what was that like bare were you bare knuckle boxing at that point or pro golfing when you had i was pro golfing at this stage at this yeah, stage yeah, and then later my boxing career comes in again later yeah what but, was it like having a young child being a pro golfer
2: well, I had a very supportive wife. Yeah, um, and she she supported me because it it was a dream. It wasn't so much. I'm going to put. I I I never done golf. I I for five or six years I was a full time professional, teaching, selling stuff. But for me, I had to. Um, I had other jobs to support my dream. You remember um, when I come back? I said early in the interview that my grandfather. I pledged a promise and. I'll keep promises if my health and strength are up. If I said I'll do something for you, provided I'm alive and around, I'll do it. That's me. If something unforeseen happens, of course I can't go through that promise. But I do keep my promises. If I say I'm going to do something, I'll do it. And um, that's what I did. So my wife could see my dream. And she's been a beautiful, lovely wife. She's been very supportive of me.
3: You got a photo of her, and yeah. I'm
2: lucky. Yeah, yeah. She's um,
3: on your wedding day. Yeah, <laughs> that is some hairdo. You got mullet. Yeah. A yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. Wow. I love yeah, it. It's a lovely
2: photo. I used to have a bit of Barnet Fair in them days. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Big thick blonde hair yeah back wow. in the day
2: and um, my nickname is joe bugner and they thought it was from the blonde curly hair but that wasn't the case <laughs> no back in the day i was nicknamed joe bugner from 1971 when joe bugner was the heavyweight champion of europe <laughs> my wow. uncle neville said as our joe bugner and that name stuck with me forever but there was an uncanny likeness with the blonde curly hair for a while but well, it's incidentally my boxing name joe bugner smith yeah.
3: I you're very
5: envious. <laughs> 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 there's, a, there's
1: a chapter in here called Dicing with Death. Mm. Is that a story we've, we've not
2: touched on today or is that? Um, well, they've all got headlines to the chapters, Dicing with yeah. Death. I yeah. can't, um, I'm aware of all the chapters until you enlighten an
3: incident. I, I Do don't... you want me to read a couple of paragraphs?
1: Nearly a hundred grand in my bin for that piece of work and for the life of me, I cannot say where it went. a <laughs> oh. 100 grand. Yeah, there I were five
3: it. other people involved. Oh, no, five other people to pay. And there were other expenses incurred yet. <laughs> right. Yet I was still left with a lump of dosh that could have bought me a flat, but instead slid slid through my fingers <laughs> like a bar of soap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are, just, I
2: had a bit, but didn't, couldn't find it. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, the pound note sign, that's another thing with life's maturity. I just That's um, way overrated, the pound note sign, isn't it? The love it's and, not the meaning of life. No, <laughs> love and happiness is so
3: much, so much more precious. So going back to your darker days, knowing what you know now, what would you say to your younger self? What advice would you give?
2: Uh, knowing what I know now, I would have probably sent me down to Bajan Stoke Golf Club and told these people, "You're ludicrous idiots." What are it's you doing? It's not off man. We
3: can. Come <laughs> yeah, to, you're ludicrous <laughs> idiots.
2: Without foul language. without any pressure, without any physical contact, verbally, would have sorted that situation out and sent myself on the path of being the golf professional, the champion that I was tipped to be, without doubt. But, but, had I now gone on tour, I'd. Probably I may have met some other lady, but I wouldn't have met my beautiful wife. So I now got my beautiful wife, my journey's mapped out, and here I am telling the story. So it's all done for a reason, and um, yeah, this is done for a reason. Now here's a bloke that could be much, much worse off in life. I'm not getting too bitter about a couple of idiots done this to me. It hurt me at the time, I was an impact, but look at me now. I've still got my looks intact. (laughs) (laughs) I have a beautiful wife, joking aside. Um, I have an okay lifestyle. We can support a car, a couple of holidays a year, as much food and drink as we want, relatively speaking. I feel super, super rich, super, super happy. Very, very fortunate. I feel very blessed, thank the good Lord, that my journey's work this way. Of course, I hurt people along the way unintentionally, Never went out intentionally to hurt anybody. These things happened. My good Lord has got to forgive me for that. If people want to forgive me, they can. But I never intended. I never, in my heart, to go and intentionally hurt somebody. Paths got crossed. This young man. He tried to hurt me. I ended up hurting him. All that crap. But I wouldn't change a thing. Um. I wouldn't change a thing other than the fact I can't change what I would like to have changed anyway. And I'm very, very happy sitting here talking to you people. I feel very, very oh, blessed.
3: Oh, we feel blessed.
2: <laughs> what's the, Looking back then, what's like the happiest, proudest moments of your life?
3: <sighs> Keeping up the high. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Keeping up the high. I mean, it's always a lovely thing when your children are born, but I've got to really confess... I only really enjoy my children. When they, I mean, I just get this right. My wife would probably kill me, right? <laughs> yeah. But I love them when they they start running around, and I really start to, you know, you spend time, you've bonded. Obviously, you, you they're a one year old, you haven't a one day old, you haven't bonded with them. Four year old, you've bonded with them. So there's an obvious thing there, but um, so there's always an obvious eye about having your children. But watching them grow is a fantastic thing, and my grandchildren. But my real eye. I was in, when I won the European Father-Son Championship. I remember it like yesterday. My father was such a good supporter of me and my mum. I was really lucky. So I I'll, I'll keep going on about this, but I've, I'm sure most people out there got good parents. Sadly, not all. But I was really lucky. I had I good parents, and they never gave up on me when my form was down. They continued to support me. And um, it's somewhere on YouTube. <laughs> I went absolutely nutty when my son sunk the final puck to win the european father-son championship (laughs) we beat the u.s champions and my dad was in fear of flying so he was old school he wouldn't fly so we were out there and picking up the phone oh Oh, mate what a buzz (laughs) i ring my dad i said dad yeah yeah Your son and grandson um, is a little bit different now. He said, Why is that? He said, We're champions of Europe. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great, great thing. It was Uh his emotion on the end of the phone. My emotion there, yeah, why not cry? Let's love it. We didn't, I don't drink before I play. We didn't drink a champagne. I drank a a complete bottle of champagne on the last green. (laughs) We drank, we nearly missed our flight. We drunk the hotel. The hotel gave up trying to get us out of the bar. Just stayed behind it. it was a great, great eye. We returned in a drunken hangover, but even <laughs> that couldn't dampen the mood. It was the greatest oh. moment, um, one of the greatest moments of my life, yeah. It was wow. Fantastic. Wow.
1: And what do you say to the young people then that are tempted into this life of crime? And I think I heard you on another interview talking about, like, even in a pub, you know, you can hit someone and they could just fall over and die. Oh, yeah.
2: Ah, of course, yeah, it's, yeah, please lads, I mean, I, I plead with you in the nicest way, anybody listening here, just don't go down that violent stuff, there's lots of good guys, role models out there, don't go down this violent road, because it's just going to end in misery, and I am very, very lucky, there's so many guys doing 17, 18 years, or even dead, when you go into a violent altercation, who's to say, I'm going to throw the right hander first, yeah, who's to say that? somebody's got something in their pocket, they might use that before you can throw your right-hander. And there's no real winners. Your parents, beyond this, your family, there's, 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 there's a life of misery. Girlfriend, just please refrain from going down this violent road. You can do it. I'm a Christian. I love my Jesus Christ, but you don't need to go to church, but you can. Um, The good Lord's there to listen to you, and people are there to listen to you. And it's not always as it seems. I'm not going to beat on about... Um religion to you guys i'm going to beat on about life all the knowledge you need is actually in the bible if you only just read it and that nine percent of british law is made up from the bible or it certainly was it may have changed a fraction now so you know this, this is by law all the common sense factors are there but grab an old uncle or a friend who's Somebody you look up to, they'll give you some sound advice. And it's down to us middle-aged guys to tell the young guys. But trust me, it's not a cool thing. It's rubbish. It doesn't make me a nice man by breaking somebody's face. That does not make me a better man in any stretch of the imagination. And neither would it make any of you guys any better by breaking my face. It's not. It's get away from this ego stuff. Go grab yourself a nice girlfriend and a career. And share the nice things in life with your mates. Be the best you can be. Find your sport. Find your career. That's my advice. Please don't go down that road. And what made you want to write the book? Well, um, the book was, uh, I had a book out, Gypsy Joe, in 2009, and it was voted Sports Book of the Year by The Observer. Tiger Woods was in second spot, would you believe? You touched on Tiger <laughs> earlier. And Lewis Hamilton plodded around in third. Plodded around. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it had great reviews, but we launched it during the World Recession, 2008-9. Yeah, so, I mean, people, 15 quid for a book or whatever it was. That is an um, expense. It was, it was an expense people couldn't afford. Credit so price. it didn't do very well in the sales. And um, the publisher and co-author, um, Martin Knight, really good friends, yeah. And, have um, I said that right? Co-author, joint author. Uh, Martin Knight. It's coming
3: up, it's yeah. uh, so your name. Uh, okay, um, yeah, it's Martin not Knight.
2: co, it's joint, joint author. He helped me up to, um, uh, with a few bits and he, he says in the book, and was it primarily my story, he, he put a couple of bits in there, which is good, made it for a good read, a better read, and he says to me, um, why don't we maybe thinking about relaunching it we've been speaking himself and john king another very successful author why don't london books talk about relaunching it under a different name so i said then we sat just over a glass of something and i said well there's been 11 years past what's happened well of course when i went down the road of 11 years what had happened quite a lot had happened um sadly i'd i'd lost my parents um so Downs and my father and all, and my best friend, Johnny Fagan. And on the upside, I had children and grandchildren born, and I had sporting achievements, not the European Championship. I wrongfully went to prison, albeit just for a short while. Um, on remand, all these little bits, I had a comeback fight. At 45-year-old, 44-45, you're too old to fight, you're an old man, leave it alone. So I did this stuff, and it was quite a bit to talk about 11 years. So it now come out the Gypsy Joe roll into Cushney and um, if I'm to be perfectly honest eleven years ago, I wouldn't have minded it being successful and made a few quid out of it Now, I've got zero interest of the making of a few quid. I'd rather go around try and play a little bit of a role model if I can without being boastful' some of these young lads, just a bit I wish boat now, and it's about saving doing a decent a decent thing in life by trying to help others a bit. So I can talk about my positivity. There's enough positivity in there? And I can hopefully deter the youngsters from going down a negative road. And if I can do that a little bit, I'll be extremely happy. If it sells a million copies, that wouldn't be too bad either. Mm. <laughs> but that's it, really. That's why I want to do it. Get the word out
3: there. Nice way to spread the message. Absolutely.
1: Such a powerful way to end the interview, Joe, with that inspirational message for young people. So I really appreciate you coming on. And um, if people have watched this interview then today, there's the book. Beautiful
2: artwork.
3: Romany Life.
1: The link will be in the description box below the video to get this. And also we'll have the link there for Christian, KRN TV, who organized the interview, and Jen for co-hosting today. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. so let us know in the comments what you thought. Huge thanks to John James for coming out filming it. Thanks and, for and having huge thanks, thanks to Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Great yeah. Brilliant. Thank <laughs> thanks for having us all. Thank you. Lovely to you. Thank
2: you YouTube.
4: Here at Boomer & Jen, we offer a wide range of organic or recycled clothing. We all know our planet is important. We only have this one. So it's vital That we all work together to slow down and reverse the changes to the environment. Whilst we all know that big industry are having a significant effect on pollution, here at Boomer and Jen, we believe that if we all make small changes, we can do our part. Fast fashion causes detrimental effects to the planet. Not only is nearly 20% of global wastewater produced by the fast fashion industry but there is a considerable amount of fast fashion ending up in landfill. So let's move away from fast fashion items that are only worn once or twice and start wearing extremely comfortable, durable and environmentally friendly clothing and ethical jewellery. Boomer and Jen was founded in a quiet town in Devon in 2018. It is now gone from strength to strength as the world is becoming more aware of the current climate situation, helping our customers to buy sustainable, quality clothing. All of our products are fair trade and registered with the Global Organic Textile Standard Association. Check us out on organiccottonclothing.co.uk